Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Today, what we're going to talk about is the life in the Spirit. And uh, just to kind of give you uh, a little bit of context before we really go into the text, um, we are actually in chapter 8. We're beginning chapter 8 this morning. Um, And last week, Pastor Phil did an incredible job at closing out chapter 7. Yeah, that was great, wasn't it? Um, Chapter 7. And in chapter 7, verse 6, Paul spoke of this new life in the Spirit and how it is made possible now for believers because they have been released by the law. And that was just a foretaste, a little tidbit of what he is now going to expound on in chapter 8. And we're going to read the first uh, 11 verses. And as he kind of explains what that means to have this new life and new way of living by the Spirit. But before we get too deep, I want to just talk about sort of uh, two different schools of thought. Is it okay if we go to school for a second? Okay, class. That didn't sound very, no, that wasn't encouraging. Can we go to school for a second? Look at somebody say, get ready. We're going to school. Get ready. Going to school. Going to school. Get out your pens, your papers, all that stuff. I want to just talk about two schools of thought, Uh, and one school of thought is that once you are saved, that you cannot ever lose your salvation. Maybe some of you have heard of terms like, you know, once saved, always saved, or the frozen chosen, you know, whatever it is, but, but, you know, it's the, it, it, it is the school of thought within Christianity that once you have accepted Christ as your Savior, once you are saved, that you are always saved, and Uh, And if somebody does walk away from the Lord, it was really because they weren't really saved in the first place. Um, And that through God's sovereignty, God has chosen, already chosen in advance who these individuals that are in Christ will be. That's one school of thought. The second school of thought in Christianity um, is that God is completely sovereign and through his sovereignty, he has organized the world in such a way that we, have, uh, that we can freely choose whether to be saved or not. And because he is omniscient, he already knows know who uh, those individuals will be that are in Christ. Now, a lot more could definitely be said about both of these schools of thought, um, but because that's kind of a very surface summary that I gave you, um, but it at least enables you to kind of see the contrast between the two, and both have scripture to back them up, and we could be here all day if we wanted to, but what I really want you guys to see is that regardless of where you might land, or maybe you don't even have an opinion one way or the other, but regardless, both schools of thought, both ways, both doctrines, what they see in the grand picture, what they agree on is that every person that is in Christ, that they do not have condemnation, that they are not condemned. And that's what we want to focus on this morning as we read into the text. And the reason Paul says that is because you have been freed from the law that sentences you to death. Amen? So now let's look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1, and we'll read. Therefore, there is now, everybody say now, 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, you and I, in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but we live according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance to the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. How many want peace? Yes. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, who, however, are not, who are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will Will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Because of the spirit who lives in you. Wow, there's a lot to be said, and we don't have four or five weeks to get cut through all this, and so I'm going to try my best, but really, Paul gives us sort of three sections within this passage. Two are reasons why those who are in Christ have no condemnation, and another, or another way of really saying that is those who are in Christ, there is no judicial punishment for your guilt, so two reasons why that's true, and then the third point he makes is what does that mean for us? And I've kind of titled these as an overview. Point one is who died for you. Point two is who lives in you. And point three is how you live. Okay? Who died for you, who lives in you, and how you live. Let's start with who died for you. For who died for you. Look at this. In verses three and four, he sort of lays out a case, a four-point case for why you are not condemned. And what he says is it's because of who died for you. Look at this. Verse three. First, he says, Christ was sent by the Father. Notice that? For God has done what the law, uh, what, uh, for God has done what the law could not do by sending his son. Number one. Number two, Christ became human. In his likeness, there was, he came as sinful flesh. Number three, Christ became a sacrifice for you and I. There was substitutionary atonement, again in verse three, by sending his own son for sin. That, that kind of term there means uh, the atoning death of the cross. And so when God condemned sin, it means that God 
executed his judgment of sin on the cross. And because of that, then Paul's fourth point there is that the law was then fulfilled in verse 4. And I want you to see this, and this is important because really verses 3 and 4 tell the whole story of the Bible. In all 66 documents called the Bible, they connect with one huge story, and part of that story is that God initiated a restoration relationship with mankind after the fall. And this is what I love about the Bible, is that what most people in society don't understand is they think that when they see the Bible that it was just composed from start to finish at one time, but actually the Bible is a collection, it is a library, if you will, of 40 different authors who lived in different historical eras in different parts of the world, and they wrote these individual books and letters and songs and poems and historical accounts. And all of those, these documents were brought together, and now we have this thing that we call the Bible. And what's really powerful is that in these documents, throughout all of them, regardless of when they were written or who they were written by or the time they were written, there is this big story that God created everything. He created mankind. We, we, we fell from God because we wanted to be our own masters, and God began to chase after us. But God began to woo us, wanting to have a restorative relationship with you and I. We didn't have to nail our way back to God. We didn't have to come to him and try to figure out how we're going to work our way. Or It wasn't anything like that. It was that God came after us. It's not as though we sort of met God halfway and God did his part and we did our part and God did 50% and we did 50% and we met together. Together. No, no, no. We were running. We were sprinting the opposite direction. And while that was happening, God called us. He called us. He didn't wait for you to get your act together. Come on, somebody. But, but in the middle of your mess, he called you because your dirt does not scare or intimidate God. He didn't wait for you to stop being prideful or self-centered or egotistical. But while you and I were covered in sin, and death while we were wallowing in the dirt of despair he called us he called us while we were in adultery he called you while you were addicted he called you while you were fighting with depression he called you I wish I had a witness today while you were lying he called you you see what I'm saying while you were trying to make your way up on the top of a corporate ladder and thinking only of yourself he called you while you were drowning in legalistic religiosity he called you while you were trying to play church, he called you. He didn't wait for you to become perfect before accepting you, but in the middle of you being a very enemy of who God is. Oh, come on. He called you. He called you. He called me. He called all of us. He called us, you see. He called you. Touch the people say, he called you. 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 See what I'm saying? He called you, and he called you because there was a purpose behind that. But he didn't just call you, he died for you. He died in your name so you can live in his name, you see. And notice what Paul says in verse 3. He says that Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, 
Paul using that word likeness, what he's doing is he's using simplicity to explain the complexities of the God that we serve. Because see, Jesus was not half God, half man. Jesus was not somewhat God and somewhat man, but he was truly God and truly human. And therefore, he was able not just to die, but but in his death, fulfill the law, but take on the sentence, pay the penalty, pay the the debt of sin cosmically cosmically but the fact that he died for you and rose again isn't the only reason that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ see there's a second reason it's not just who died for you but also what Paul says is who lives in you who died for you and who lives in you Beck and I, we have been married for 11 years, and yeah, and I remember after the wedding, she moved in, and, <laughs> and that was interesting, right? That was interesting. A, a lot of, she is here today, yeah, she can testify to it. A lot, a lot of my stuff didn't make it in the merge, I'm afraid, right, yeah. It was a little bit of a hostile takeover, and I kind of felt like a flood victim a little bit. You know, like the people you see on television, like, I don't know what happened. It just all of a sudden came in, you know? Happened so fast, whoosh, it's all gone. You know, she moved in, she started organizing everything, you know, and and putting things up and taking things down and throwing things away behind my back. And you know what I'm saying? I had to go in the trash and start digging stuff out. And you know what I mean? And she started taking away my martial arts belts and my soccer trophies. And I'm like, what are you doing, girl? Like, no, this is like my memories of like, you know, health. You know, I don't know. (laughs) You know, this is my evidence. (laughs) Like, you can't, you know, you can't take away those things. And she started started organizing. And now she has like these, you know, sacred artifacts that I'm not allowed to touch, you know, like 15 pillows on the bed. Can't touch them. Even if I'm looking at them, thinking about touching them, you'll hear her voice. Don't touch them. Because apparently those pillows are not for use. They are there for decoration and ambiance, aesthetics to be looked at, right? I'm like, I don't get it, but they're just, they're staying, you know, things change, things change. I had to change. I had to change. For instance, you know, when I, now when I get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I actually have to turn the light on. Didn't have to do that before. Just use sonar, you know, just kind of aim for it. Nope, now I got to turn the light on. Things change. Change, right? I mean, mean, listen, for those of you who don't know this experience, listen, when when the spouse moves in, listen, guys, it's it's almost like joining the military. You get a new haircut, you get new clothes, and you're told information on a need-to-know basis. Somebody comes in the house, why is that there? I don't know. I don't need to know, I guess. Where are we going? If I needed to know, she would tell me. Right? Because when somebody moves in 
to permanently live with you, it changes things. Dynamics change. And you have to realize that the Spirit of God, who is the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, has come to reside in you, to take up residence. He doesn't come to visit every once in a while. This isn't the thing where he comes by for, you know, a cup of tea or, or you, know, uh, 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 you know, some coffee. It's not that at all. He comes to make his home to reside in you. And the reason why Christians say that the Christian life is much more than just sort of, you know, kind of following these guidelines or believing a certain number of doctrines or or moral values. But the reason we say that Christianity is extremely experiential, it's 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 an experiential religion, is because the Bible says that as Christians, the Holy Spirit relationally comes in to indwell within us. And And the Bible talks about this again and again and again that he takes up permanent residence in you in you and this is why check this out write this down the christian life is not gradual self-improvement it is fellowship with the spirit and he didn't come to upgrade your old self but to kill it and to make you a completely new kind of human Coming to Christ is not returning to religion. It is a surrendering to a person. And his name is Jesus. Look at what J.D. Greer says. He says, now the amount of spiritual power that you are experiencing in your life has nothing to do with how much of him, meaning God, you have, but how much he has of you. See that? How much of you he has. Not about how much you have of him but how much he has of you. Yeah. You see that? You are not condemned. Those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation because of who died for you, but also because of who lives in you. Wow. And because of that, point three, it changes how you live. It changes how you live. In fact... Paul, throughout this next portion of uh, of this passage, really begins to paint a picture of two different type of people that exist in this world. One type of person is the person that has the Spirit of God residing in them, and the second type of person is somebody who does not. And basically, Paul says, that's all you got. That's what you got. You got two types of people in this life. You got those that have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is living within them, which happens upon salvation. Or you have this person here who does not have the Holy Spirit at all. That's it. Two types of people. And throughout the passage, he begins to compare and contrast how these two operate. And he says that the person that is filled with the Spirit, they're actions and their affirmations will be set on the things of the spirit their actions and their affirmations will be set on the things of the spirit in other words how they operate will be according to the spirit of god and those who do not have the spirit will operate according to the flesh they will have a flesh operating system if you will 
right? And, and this flesh operating system, it, 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 it creates, it produces passions and desires, desires. We see that word popping up all through Romans and even in our passage this morning. And that word desires, which is sometimes translated as the word lust, does not mean for an evil desire, but it means an over desire, an over desire. The Greek word is epithemia, Epithemia, which means an over-desire or an inordinate desire, a disproportionate desire or an out-of-control desire or drive. And so the, the flesh operating system creates these sort of over-desires. You say, how? How, is that, how? how does that work, Roger? I'm glad you asked. Because, because the system looks at Good things like your career and money and family and, 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 and approval. And what it does is it sucks those things into the very center of your life, into the center of your heart. And it causes you to say, that's what you have to have. And if you don't have that, then you're not going to be okay. If you don't have that, then you're nothing. That's how it works. That's how it works. For, for example, human, appro human uh, approval, right? Your reputation is what's most important. Being thought of well and having a good name and, and people loving you and making sure that they think highly of you and, 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 that, and that you are accepted by them. What the flesh operating system does is it takes a thing like that, which is at some level important, but it sucks it into be the very center of your heart, the very thing that's most important to you, right? And it makes it your center. So now if somebody, if there's one person that criticizes you or critiques you or happens to not like you. It, it doesn't just bother you. It doesn't just upset you, right? But, but, but it actually devastates you. It absolutely crushes you because of the flesh operating system that is driving you, you see, that over-desire. That's why you get upset that's why you, you, that's why you get mad or that's why you want to be a people pleaser, right? Let me give you another example. This happens a lot in the Bay Area, uh, but uh, career, right? Money and career and success. Now, is there anything wrong with having a career? No, of course, go ahead and have a career. But when, that, but, but, but when your flesh operating system sucks that thing to be the very center of your heart to say, if you don't have this, then you're nothing, there's a problem. And, and at the very least, you'll become a workaholic. But actually, what will probably start happening is you're willing to lie or cheat. You're willing to do something unethical in order to go up that ladder, in order to get you know, a promotion or to get a raise or, 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 or to look good in front of the boss or to look good in front of your peers or the team that you're, that you're trying to lead, whatever it is. But that thing that, that has now become your center and you keep saying, I have to do well and I have to make more money and I have to have a career and I have to keep going up and I have to keep going up. And when that that doesn't happen, it, it doesn't just, you know, disappoint you, but it devastates you. It devastates you. What about, let's take another example like parenting. Parenting with your children, right? The, the flesh operating system can take your children and suck them into your center. And now, and now it's like this, unless your children are happy and doing well and loving you and everything's going well, then, then, then you're fine. And, and if that doesn't happen, then all of a sudden life has no meaning. All of a sudden you're purposeless. All of a sudden you're a failure. You see? Yeah. Or, or it could be the other way around. 
To where, to where if that doesn't happen, then, then, then what's going on is, 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 that, you, is that they have to be a, a, a success. And if that doesn't happen, you become bitter or you become upset. And, and, and what will happen is either you'll crush your kids or your kids will crush you. Either you're going to crush your children under the load of your expectation and the need for their success, or they're going to crush you because every problem they have is just going to wipe you out. You're going to be so worried and so fearful and filled with anxiety and stressed out. And you know what I'm saying? Because the flesh operating system has, has pulled them so much into your center that they are now your idol. Do, do you see what's going on? Do you see how the flesh makes your ego into this kind of thing that you have to crave and you have to get more out of or, 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 that, or, or that your flesh can, t- can, t- can, can paralyze you into fear, into anxiety and disappointment? Do you see what happens? Do you recognize this flesh operating system in your life? In fact, that's a question for you. Do you recognize a flesh operating system in your life? Because the flesh, which means sinful nature, that's what, that's what Paul means when he says the flesh, it means sinful nature, doesn't just make you do bad things, but write this down, the sinful nature is what makes good things into ultimate things. It makes good things into ultimate things. And it takes the place of Jesus Christ. And now you are putting an expectation on something that it cannot give you. Because only God can do that. You see? You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? And you say, okay, okay, I recognize it. I get it. I recognize it. And so now I'm just going to try to stop doing it, right? Right? That's the end. I'm just going to try and stop doing it. I'm just going to try and just stop it. Just stop it. Stop it, Roger. Stop it. Just stop it. You know, be better. Be better. Is that, is that what we do? No. No, what, what Paul's saying is, no, that's not enough. You can't do it. The only way to stop the flesh operating system from controlling your life is to have a paradigm shift to be completely emptied out to God and to allow the Spirit to fill you, to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and allow the Spirit, God himself, to come in and permanently make residence in your heart. You have to do it that way. Otherwise, it's never going to work. Look what Paul says in verses 5 through 9, that the person's behavior is determined by the presence of the Holy Spirit, not by their own efforts. In other words, it's not determined by who you are, but it's determined by whose you are, by whose you are. In verse 10, Paul uses a strong word. He uses a relational word. He uses an intimate word. He uses the word belong. He says, for those who do not have the spirit of God in them, they do not belong to God. And for those that do have the spirit of God in them, they belong to God. You see that? Do you see that? In other words, who you are can only be known if you first answer whose you are. Who you are can only be known if you first answer whose you are. And this, is not, and this not only changes how you experience life now, but it also will change how you experience life in the future. As, we go, as I go to conclude, look at this. You say, well, how can I be confident that I'm saved? How can I be confident? How do I know that the Spirit of God lives in me? How do I know that I'm saved? 
How can I be confident? Well, because of verse 11. See, how, how can we know that this will change not only how you live life now, but how you will experience life in the future and future glory? Here's why, because of what Paul says in verse 11. And he says this, because the same power, the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave now lives in us. That's how we know. That's how we know, because the very same spirit that when Christ was put in the borrowed tomb and three days later, the angel showed up and the earth began to shake and the roll and the stone was rolled away and, and Jesus Christ walked out in a glorified body. The same spirit that did that, that now when you go back and you don't see a tomb filled with bones, but you see a tomb that is completely empty, the same spirit that did that now lives in you and I. And you know why we're not getting excited? because it's hard to believe it because inside of us there's a wrestling and there's a fighting and there's a war and you cannot believe you do not think you are valuable enough to believe that God would reside in you you're too sinful and you're not worthy and how could this actually be and the answer is that's true you're not and that's why he came to you instead of you coming to him that's why and now, and now, and now, and now, and now, when we sing this worship song, now when we sing, we can understand when we say that the fear that held us now gives way to him who is our peace. His final breath upon the cross is now alive in me. By your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. I, in your name, I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected king is resurrecting. Now we know and we can understand that because we live by the spirit. And how we, and the reason we live by the spirit is not because he condemns you, but because Christ was condemned for you. Christ was condemned for you. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspired Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspiredchurches.com for more information.